from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 224. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Pingdom, Lunar Display, and Green Chef. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by my partner in crime, Mr. Jason Snell. You're not supposed to talk about the crime, Mike. <laughs> I told we had a conversation about uh, this. My my partner in doing good, Mr. Jason that's Snell. That's right. Yes, that's from my garage. It's me. Hi. Our hashtag Snell Talk question comes from Brent this week, and Brent wants to know, when your Apple Pencil is on the top of your iPad to charge, which way does the tip point? <laughs> um, is this a trick question? I have no, no answer. I have no answer to this because I don't care. Okay, well, I, 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 I do. Okay, uh, I am that. I guess I'm that kind of person. So if I have my, uh, I have it in uh, landscape with like, as as it would be like home button that doesn't exist on the right, camera on the left, right? Um, the Apple Pencil is the tip is always pointing towards the camera. So it it from my perspective is pointing to the left. Okay. So away from the USB C port towards the camera. That's my that's my preference. Don't ask me why. I don't know why, but that's just the way it must be. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't care. That's my that's my answer. I Sorry say, everybody. It is probably better to not care about these types of things, but I do. So Yeah, well you can't change yourself. No. If you if you do care, then you care, and you're mm-hmm. one of those kinds of people, and yep. I am not. I also am only, you know, I'm only leaving it there. Well, we'll talk about my Apple Pencil habits we later. We will, I, actually. I, I don't have it there all the time, but I do have it there some of the time, which there is was a reason the last time. I picked this question, and it was because ah, we're oh. going to be talking about the Apple Pencil later on in the show. Nice. If you would like to send in a question like Brent did, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk, and it may be used to open a future episode of Upgrade. We start today with some follow-up. Um, Apple Music is slowly rolling out in the U.S. uh, on the Amazon Echo. Right now, it is U.S. only. There is absolutely nothing to confirm or deny if and how long this is going to be the case, that it will be U.S. only. Um, But it is. Uh, You can um, indeed, as we had hoped, set Apple Music as your default music provider for the Echo. Yes, you can. It, it, It actually tells you when you add the skill, because I did this, when you add the skill... As I did on Friday, it says, great. Now, if you want to uh, make this the default, you can go to settings and do that. And I think there's even a button that takes you there in the app, um, in the Mm -hmm. Amazon app uh, to control the lady, the lady in the canister app. Um, And uh, then you go there and you say, yeah, this is my music service. And then that's it. When you say, hey, lady, play this playlist or play this song, it says, okay, I'm playing that song from Apple Music, and that's it. From there, it kind of does everything that you'd expect it to do. It, it, it ticks all the boxes. Um, it also has some flaws, which you would expect. Um, this is coming from a, an article, great article, 9to5Mac. It doesn't seem that right now it will support iCloud Music Library songs, meaning that th- these are the stuff you upload yourself, the old iTunes match stuff. So if you upload something to your iCloud Music Library that doesn't exist in Apple Music, you can't play it. It has to be in Apple Music. It seems like it's only looking at, it's not looking at your personal library necessarily, this sounds like, um, just what is on Apple Music. Yep. But because this is integrated into the Echo as a default music provider, it can actually do some things that the HomePod cannot. Like, for example, you can set an Apple Music playlist or a station as an alarm 
So like you can set alarms, like morning alarms on the Amazon Echo, and it can be music, and you can choose music from Apple Music, which is not something you can do on any uh, iOS device or um, on a HomePod. So hmm. I guess I guess it's kind of fun. Uh, it is um, as was feared. We had somebody ask about this last week. It is currently limited to Amazon Echo speakers only. So this is not for. Uh, I'm just going to say it. This is not for Alexa devices. It has to be for Echo devices. So the Sonos stuff, it's not going to work there for now, and who knows how long. It, it, honestly, this feels like this is not something that is in Sonos's hands. Right. Um, how, how frustrating is that to have a device that does Alexa and also does Apple Music and they don't work together? Yeah, that's why it makes it worse. Like, I would more understand it if it was like all of the other products that exist. But the Sonos... But I get the complexity of it in the sense that Sonos is already paired with Apple Music. Mm-hmm. And this is through whatever the Alexa part of it is. And those, and how do you reconcile those? Or can you? Is it impossible? Like, I, I get it. But it's super frustrating, and uh, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Also, I I should say the um, Echo has multi speaker support now. So if you have multiple Echoes, I believe you can do the thing where you say play this on the the other one or play this everywhere, and it will yep. work with Apple Music, which is great. But what it won't do is also play on a HomePod or some other AirPlay two device because it didn't. It's not supporting AirPlay two. It's just supporting playing Apple Music in the Alexa ecosystem. Which, you know, if you want to, this is the probably the most cost-effective way right now to get multiple speakers playing Apple Music in your home because because Amazon have such a variety of devices, including right. that like $35 one that you just plug into speakers. Yeah, I was going to say if you've got a if you've got some uh, a receiver with an input or a set of powered speakers and you can get an Echo Dot and just plug it into there, um, even if you only use that remotely and 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 say from your main Echo play this on my speakers or something, that will work. And that's interesting. That's like you, you're basically yeah, you've got Amazon Music access like you had or Apple Music Access on on these devices, the Echoes, like you had with Spotify. And so if you've already invested in those and you also are an Apple Music person, it's like, okay, great. Now they're way more useful than they were. Or if you're like me, you can drop your uh, you know, Amazon Music device supplementary subscription that you got just so you could play music on the Echo. Because now if you're already an Am- Apple Music customer, you can you can just use that there instead. So that's good. Yeah, but, so this is this is cool. Like it's it's interesting to see. Um, I, you I can correct me if I'm wrong, but there was nothing from Apple, no press release. But is it is officially today? Right, is supposed to be the day that they said it was coming, but they seem to be rolling it out a bit sooner. So maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see maybe. something. Maybe or maybe your uh, conspiracy theory from Connected will be right, and they'll <laughs> just pre- pretend that it never happened. Yeah, I'm gonna keep my eye on the Apple Music um, the page on Apple.com. And see if they ah. add anything there because if they add it that's that's probably where it should go because they have little like icons and stuff to denote that you can uh that you can listen on android devices and sonos devices so in theory they should add uh the amazon echo selection of products there so we'll see we'll see Upgradies voting is still open until December 24th. I can confirm, as was prophesized on the last episode, this is now the most uh, no- nominated slash voted for Upgradies of all time. Um, it has eclipsed last year. So there is lots and lots of wonderful uh, suggestions coming in. And if you're looking for some 
inspiration for your votes. Uh, the folk over at Mac Stories today just introduced Mac Story Selects, which is their awards, um, which is really cool to see. So Federico and John and Ryan got together and they voted on what their favorite apps of the year are. Very helpful for me, Jason, because the apps of the year stuff is always the ones that I really struggle with. So I know. It, I'm pleased to see that the Mac Stories crew uh, are kind of giving me some inspiration for what uh, could, could be voted on. But it's really cool. They have they have beautiful uh, little rosettes in a, in a beautiful That's Federico true. style. So. Really I'm fun. excited. Also, the uh, Wall Street has reacted positively to the news of the upgrade is showing year-over-year growth. So that's good to know. <laughs> We're moving into services, though. Oh, boy. Let's talk up some upstream news. We have a couple of pieces of Apple-related uh, signings, I guess. Apple has acquired J.J. Abrams' produced drama series starring Jennifer Garner. Um, it, is ble- it is called My Glory Was I Had Such Friends, and it's a limited series that's based on a memoir of the same name. Um, this is now the second Abrams-produced drama series coming to Apple's TV service. Um, and they also have picked up Peanuts, so they've done a deal to get the rights to produce content starring Charles M. Schultz's roster of characters. Uh, for the uninitiated, this is like Snoopy and Charlie Brown. So yeah. this may include new series, some shorts, or maybe even kind of like feature-length specials, um, and is focused on STEM, so science, technology. So it, science, technology, yeah. something Engineering and, maths. and mathematics. Engineering, yeah. that's the one. So it's two, it's two deals. So, th- so I mean, it's one bit overarching deal. One of the things they announced is they're going to do short-form STEM educational content, and they're also going to do, you know, specials or shows or whatever else. There's all sorts mm-hmm. of other stuff that they'll probably do, but I thought it was an interesting, very specific thing that they're, they're very specifically going to make educational content featuring Snoopy that is uh, about STEM topics. So, you know, the, the fact is... This is a lot like the Sesame Street uh, deal with HBO, where Sesame Street episodes premiere on HBO now, and that was a way for Sesame Workshop to get more funding because they were not essentially not funded well enough by PBS. Mm-hmm. And the shows end up on PBS eventually, but they start on HBO. And I think it's interesting in the sense that this is we get so focused on, as you know, you mentioned the Jennifer Garner, J.J. Abrams thing, uh, reunion of Alias people who that was one of my favorite shows alias uh which was jj abrams producing jennifer garner um this is the other part of that right it's not just prestige dramas and and uh high you know star power and star producers and all of that the other part of this kind of battle for streaming supremacy is uh is children's content Mm -hmm. like they this is another front in that war which is i i think everybody knows that one way you get parents to subscribe to something is that there's stuff for their kids on it and that you can't just do adult well you can but like it's an extra benefit to your service to have kids programming on board especially if you're somebody like apple who is trying to focus on family content that is uh an important thing for them to do and of course hovering in the background it's coming next year everybody knows it is a streaming service with the disney brand and like if disney the disney brand means anything it means family-friendly content and kid content. So they got to be there. And that's what Apple is doing with this deal. Um, one of mine and your favorite shows uh, on Netflix recently, one of their originals, has just been renewed for a second season, and that is David Letterman's uh, show, his interview show. So it, they're going to be doing another six episodes in 2019. Yeah, that's. I, I wonder, you know, they, they only announced this now. It's kind of funny because those episodes played out uh, into the summer, um, 
I'm a little surprised. I don't know whether this is Netflix uh, considering what they want to do or whether it was Letterman considering, you know, how he wanted to do it or if they gave him the nod six months ago and he's been working on this, but they've only announced it now. I, I'm unclear on what, what exactly took them so long here. Um, Netflix has had, we don't go into a lot of the details here, but de- Netflix has definitely had ups and downs with talk show content where they're trying to do, you know, it's one of those things of like, how do you do something um, that is sort of timely, but also bingeable and has a weekly release schedule maybe instead of being a uh, a binge drop of a whole season. And they've tried a bunch of different things. Uh, they, they Michelle Wolf had a show. Joe, Joel McHale had a show that I really liked, actually. Um, they killed those shows. They gave Hassan Minaj has a deal, the former Daily Show correspondent, for his show, Patriot Act, which is, uh, it's very good. It is Basically like John Oliver's show, except uh, no desk. He just stands in front of a screen. But it's a very similar kind of topical comedy slash information show. Um, And they gave him like a 30-week deal, and that show runs weekly. Wow. Um, So they're... Netflix, you know, Netflix wants, and I think believes that there's something to it, to have these kind of shows that can extend, that can be timely... Um, I think they're looking at HBO and HBO having success with this and looking at yeah Comedy Central and stuff like that and saying, can we do something as part of our portfolio that can fulfill this desire from people to have this kind of talk show or or otherwise kind of conversational and topical stuff? I'm not sure they've cracked it yet, but they're trying a bunch of different stuff and, and bringing Letterman back. I mean, this is not going to this is a monthly thing again, like it was last year. It's six mm-hmm. episodes dr- presumably dropped once a month. But um it's still really interesting to watch how Netflix struggles with this because like Hassan Minaj, I read an interview with him where he said, you know, their challenge is they want to be topical, but they, they also want to be, uh, to, for it to be kind of evergreen so that if you don't watch and then you want to watch five or six of them in a row, um, that they're still, they don't feel outdated, uh, you know, that you can go back and watch six of them and not feel like, why did I watch you know, why would you watch a news show from three weeks ago, right? They want them to be replayable. And that's a challenge with Netflix, where it's like people have expectations of Netflix that don't necessarily work with traditional views of providing topical content. So it's a fascinating thing to watch Netflix, which has done so well in so many areas. And this is an area where they just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, they uh, they put clips of Patriot Act, which is my show on YouTube. Which I think is one of the things that I'm, that Netflix has been missing. Yeah, and HBO does that with John Oliver, and yeah, they all do it. They all do it. Like I was watching some yeah. uh, people were sharing some Saturday Night Live clips this morning. Sure, that were sure, funny. totally. Right, it's like part it, of the strategy. It, it's a little different if you're a premium streaming service or like HBO. Right, I always thought it was like, it's, and I think that's why that they've always kind of not wanted to do it. Maybe Netflix, right? But like this is how I think you get people to watch these shows is they need to see those little clips first because that's that's yep. what the late night talk show is now. It's a bunch of of attempts at going viral that that's that's what they are um and finally warner media have hired kevin riley to run their streaming service uh riley has been a chief creative officer at turner and was previously the programmer for fox uh and nbc so you told me this is a big deal 
Yeah, this is a big deal, and I know it's insider baseball in the sense that it is just a name of a guy who's a suit, a corporate suit kind of thing. But here's the thing with Kevin Riley. He is a highly respected programmer. He was the programmer at the Fox Broadcast Network. He was and the this pro- means programmer. someone who sets the television schedule, yeah, right? Not, he's, not he's someone in... sitting their code in the back end. <laughs> no, he's, he's... Yeah, that's true. Sorry. This is the upstream segment. Upstream yeah. programmers are different from the rest of the programmers we talk about on this show. Sorry, they're software engineers, Mike. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Drang has exploded uh, yes, somewhere. Yes, yes. Um the, so so the Fox TV network and the NBC TV network, he was the guy who was in charge of what shows do we make, um, what gets the green light, what doesn't, what shows do we cancel. He is very well respected. He is generally thought of as having um, uh, a very good... Uh, very good taste, very very successful as a programmer. Um, recently, he's been doing the programming at TBS and TNT, which are uh, Turner, which is of course owned by Warner Media now. And so, I think this is an amazing, uh, great move. I think that one of the challenges that all of these services have is you got to have good programmers, you got to have good content people. Um, and the New York Times did a big profile over the weekend of the person who's in charge of the movies at Netflix. And once again, that stat that you and I, I think, have talked about before, that Netflix plans on releasing something like 60 movies in a year, which, yes, means that they're releasing more than one movie a week. Or that's a an original Netflix feature film, which is baffling it's mind-boggling mm-hmm. but um these people matter because these are the people who are making those decisions they're shaping what the network or service uh looks like and uh if they have good instincts and good taste and good relationships they can produce up an overall product which is what you want if you're trying to convince somebody to subscribe to your service that can be really successful and um and you see this with uh, some of the other people, like it'll be interesting to see what happens with John Landgraf, who is the programmer at the FX networks, which are going to be brought inside of Disney next year. Is Landgraf going to be put in charge of Hulu, maybe, or something like that? Uh, it, we'll we'll see. But uh, Riley, anyway, uh, generally uh, well thought of guy. And Warner, it's telling, I think, for Warner Media to say, yeah, he's the guy. Like it's all going to go to him. We're not going to have all these different fiefdoms inside of of Warner, we're going to have Riley in charge of the content for Warner's streaming service. And uh, that's, uh, that's uh, I think, smart for them. So it's a back background hire kind of thing or promotion, really. But um, I, I think that's the kind of person you want in a job like that. So the end of today's episode is going to be a Mike at the Movie segment. And we're going to be talking about the Christmas classic Miracle on 34th Street. So we've got that at the end of the episode. And whilst we're talking about holiday classics, um, next week's episode of Upgrade is going to be the holiday special. And it is very special and very holiday. Yes, it is. It is. We've got it uh, in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it is a special format, but it yep. it leads. it is not a, a departure in the sense of it being uh, not about Apple and tech, but it is a departure in format a little bit. There will be special guests, yep, as there were last year, I believe. Should we um, say how many special guests there will be? I think saying how many might give away mm-hmm. what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So we'll just say it is a classic format that, like, very classic. <laughs> a very classic number of guests to have. And a classic number of guests, <laughs> yes. Mm, the best. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Luna Display. Uh, Luna Display is the hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. So you'll have super, a super portable second display with stunning image quality and basically zero lag. Jason Snell, I have my Mac Mini now. 
Yes. And I set it up with my Luna display. And I am consistently blown away with how well this thing works. You just plug it in and the app launches on its own. You get set, get it set all up. And now I just have this Mac Mini just sitting here, no display attached to it. And whenever I want to jump on it, I just open the Luna Display app on my iPad and I can sit and just use it like it's a Mac. I cannot believe how well this thing works. Like, Yeah, it's it's. I've been using um, remote desktop software uh, to connect to my Mac Mini for a very long time. The difference is because it's using the hardware acceleration and all the other kind of like magic stuff because the Luna Display has its little uh, module that you plug into it that poses as a monitor you end up with a much higher quality and more responsive Mm -hmm. screen sharing in your house than and and just on my wi-fi i don't need to be tethered or anything like that it's pretty great like the the initial concept of this thing was that you you could use it as a second monitor and actually it if you want a second monitor and you've got a a beautiful ipad uh with a retina display just sitting there you could do that too but as a screen sharing resource to have a, a a mac somewhere in your house and then just have an iPad and and be able to control it natively. It's pretty great. And so I, I'm doing that now too in the house. I still have my screen sharing software for out of the house or from my Mac. But when I'm on my iPad in the house with the keyboard, it's just, yeah, I, I, I can turn it into a Mac yep. and it feels like a Mac for... Keyboard, yeah. Apple Pencil, yeah. like that is perfect. The Apple Pencil is so good, right? Because the touch targets can be small the apple pencil does it perfectly yeah i think it's fantastic i'm so so happy with it and listeners of this show can get an exclusive 10 percent discount on the lunar display just head over to lunadisplay.com that is l-u-n-a-d-i-s-p-l-a-y.com enter the promo code upgrade at checkout and you'll get that 10 percent off that is lunadisplay.com promo code upgrade at checkout our thanks to lunar display for their support of this show and all of relay fm Jason Snell, should we talk about magazines? Oh boy, people love magazines. I feel like with a, with a topic like this, there is literally nobody better placed to discuss oh boy. magazines uh-huh. and Apple together. So we have a report from Jerry Smith right. at Bloomberg. <laughs> Apple is planning to put its purchase of the magazine subscription service Texture, which it picked up in March of this year, to good use, as they are preparing to launch a new service service that has unlimited mm-hmm. access to over 200 magazines and publications, possibly for $5 a month. Did somebody say services revenue? Who said yeah, services this is, revenue? This is a, you know, this is, we don't talk about it so much, but the texture purchase is absolutely another attempt for Apple to build another part of their services business, right? They want to create- I'd completely forgotten about it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's still operating is the funny thing, and they have kind of cut it to this $5 a month. Whether they keep it there or not, I don't know. Um, clearly, the plan here is Apple wants to create a way where you can, inside of Apple News, opt to pay for a service for like five bucks or whatever a month. Again, recurring revenue, more money to the bottom line of that services line. It's great. Uh, and what you get out of it is access uh, access to paywalled content, basically, of a bunch of different publications. And we talk about it being magazines. I think the what this story suggests is uh, they're trying very much to get away from the idea of like a print magazine replica and more into basically just content feeds that go into Apple News so that you you know you you spend $5 on this and all of the content from all of these different magazines and websites 
is just available to you to read without hitting a paywall. And when I think about this, and this may not be what they're doing, but when I think about this, I think about this as a way for Apple to say, we made deals with a whole bunch of places that you get frustrated because you try to read their stuff and you hit a paywall. But if you pay us $5 a month and subscribe to them in Apple News, you'll never hit a paywall. You can read anything you like in any of these different places. And it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting idea. Um, I think one of the big questions is, uh, does it make sense? Would the money that would go to the publications be enough to keep them running? And I think the answer is probably no, but it might be a good supplemental source. Mm -hmm. And that's how, when I think about this, that's what I end up coming back to is, it feels like the right business model here is there are like the premium websites that want, they want to sell to you direct. They want you to subscribe direct. And I think the more Apple can do to make it easy to subscribe to the New York times, the wall street journal, Washington post, whatever from within inside Apple news, but the money goes back to them, the better. But if they can offer an all you can eat kind of subscription that unlocks the uh, content in sites uh, that you're not necessarily as, as focused on, you're not the, you know, I, the, the one that always gets me is I click on a link and I go to a site somewhere and it's like a news, a local newspaper site in Phoenix. And they're like, you can't read this story because we want you to subscribe. And I think I'm never going to subscribe to a newspaper from Phoenix. So I guess I'll just close the window. Um, would that, is there an opportunity there for that newspaper in Phoenix to get a little bit of money from my reading of their article as a part of the, $5 a month or whatever Apple service that, that, that some percentage of that goes to them because I read their article and uh, it's better than what they got from me, which was zero because I was not interested in reading their, their or subscribing. I hit their paywall and I just left. So I don't know. I mean, this is the, this is the challenges. The economics are problematic. If you've got literally like every magazine, every every magazine brand and other website brands, because I think newspapers need to be involved in this too, in a you know content unlocking uh, system because they're sharing that money based on how many you know people are reading them. It's I don't know. It's a it's a tough one. I'm not I'm pretty skeptical about it, but it's possible it could work. But they're going to have to get it right. And I just I, I'm concerned that the all you can read thing just is never going to be able to support any of these news organizations, but it would be nice as a, as a, uh, as a reader of stuff on the internet, it might motivate me to use Apple news more. If I knew that I, I would be less likely to hit a paywall and, or an annoying, annoying, you know, blocking mm-hmm. thing. And that I was supporting the, the sites that I was reading, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think, I think talking about this in, in the context of magazines is actually a bad thing because what they're trying to do here is lead these magazines to be, um, to be, you know, more sort of Apple news native with their, with their content. So, you know, Apple's not gonna, <laughs> I, I would be very surprised if Apple embraced the idea that they're going to put like page replicas up somewhere from a magazine that is in print. <laughs> Why don't we just don't go back to happen. those wonderful digital interactive magazines? From- so the problem is we don't have another word to call this. Like if you read some a story yeah. on the Atlantic or the New Yorker, I mean, those are magazines, but you, what you, you wouldn't call them newspapers. They are websites, content websites. And that's really what I think is going on here is that they're, you know, what, what do you do with a lot of these long form content websites, some of which also do some news um, that are... Uh, struggling because they used to be magazines and they maybe still have a magazine component. How do you get more revenue to them? And the truth is you're not, people aren't going to subscribe to more than a handful. 
but this Apple subscription service might be able to give you access to a bunch of them all in one go. That's uh, it's kind of interesting. So it seems like the current plan would be that this is going to be an add-on feature inside of Apple News. And as you say, what, what it probably means is like there'll be some mechanism to get your paywalled web content, which is technically the magazine content, right? A lot of it is actually the same stuff, right? If you do actually a company that has a magazine or you're a company like Bloomberg, I wonder if Bloomberg, I wonder if this is where Bloomberg found this out. But anyway, um, you know, like that that you could offer this stuff, right, from your paywalls through Apple News and everybody gets a cut of an amount of money. Uh, apparently, this could launch as soon as spring. This is before WWC, which makes me think, along with the TV service, could maybe do a big, like, content event. I Would you... Do, would you allow even a little bit of the spotlight for your TV service to fall on magazines instead? I wouldn't. If they're going to bundle it all up into one subscription, maybe. Yeah, maybe. That That's a question we get a lot that I, I, I think is worth asking, which is, would it be, at what point does Apple roll out a Prime-like kind of bundle that is yep. just like, you know, giving so all the That's the things. only reason that I can imagine them doing it that way. Um, I, I could even imagine them like, showing it off then very quickly and doing a bigger thing later down the line like maybe it doesn't come at the same or whatever but i i can i would be surprised to see apple with like multiple separate services that you pay for i i i don't think they will go that way you mean like now like now but i mean but when they have like content services like my what i'm saying is i can imagine they will sell them all individually but i also imagine a bundle uh, where you get them for for a slight discount, but I could be wrong. So according to Bloomberg, Apple's plans are to entice companies like the Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, companies like that, uh, but they are getting some pushback as it is feared that Apple would cannibalize the subscribers that these publications could or already do have um, and then just give them a small fraction of the sum rather than getting a much higher price yeah. if sold directly. Yeah, this is what I said earlier, which is the the, the top tier stuff. They're they're not going to want this, right? No. They're going to want to sell. Like, if I'm the New York Times, my goal is not to get a fraction of a fraction of something from Apple. My goal is to convert people to online subscriptions to the New yep. York Times, and I don't think that's going to change. So, what Apple needs to do is make those companies either provide. I think they already do this in Apple News, right, where they provide a limited number of stories. Uh, for free if you read it in apple news but like in the long run they want you know they want people to pay them directly or you know more or less directly and if you can make it easier to sign up for the wall street journal inside apple news for a subscription and unlock everything then great but if i was the wall street journal i would never ever ever want to be part of a five dollar a month all you can read plan yeah uh, for all my content maybe for a subset you know, but they may go from making four dollars and fifty cents profit after fees to 50 cents right like if they're split up between all these other companies it seems it seems like a tough ask apple is saying apparently to the companies they'll make it up in volume which is like uh... It's like such a tough thing to say. Oh, you'll just make it back in volume. We'll get you so many people. I don't know. I don't know about all of this. I have a question for you, though. Would you do it with six colors? No, because I don't have a paywall. Right, but like... No, I I mean, that's my answer is no, I don't have a paywall. And if I were going to do a paywall, I don't think I would do a paywall where I take a a fraction of 
Apple's $5 all you can read because my site is appealing to a relatively small number of of people who are intensely focused on the subjects I write about. And if I ever were to um, convert six colors to something more like Stratechery, which would require basically the bottom to drop out of what remains of the uh, written word freelance world that I still work in regularly, um, there's no way that I would put that inside of somebody else's service to get fractional revenue. I would sell it direct to people like Ben Thompson does for a hundred dollars a year or something. And uh, that's what I would do. So uh, in no circumstances would I use something like this. I really struggle with this thing, this service, like one. Okay. So here's a couple things. One, it doesn't interest me anyway, really. Like this is not something I'm probably going to sign up for because this is content that I'm not really looking for. But there's this, there's just like a bunch of like weird parts to it where it's like, are we really going to go through this again? Like newsstand didn't work, yeah, right? Right. It's totally and, true. And, I mean, there are, there are lots. This is much better than newsstand in the sense that it is not requiring publishers. Newsstand was a disaster and it was a disaster because Steve Jobs saw demos of Wizzy apps mm-hmm. and thought, this is the future. At which point, instead of giving uh, publishers a standard format like in iBooks or Apple News to write their content to, they suddenly all had, every single publisher had to be an app developer. It was really good for uh, app development contract shops because they suddenly had a lot of business, but it was very bad for everybody else because it was super expensive Mm -hmm. and the results were poor. And this is better in the sense that it's just a content feed and Apple built the app and it's Apple News and you have some control over it. You've got some, you know, richer layout features. It's a much better experience. So it's better than that. But you're right in the sense that it is maybe some struggling publishers hoping Apple will provide them with a lifeline. But when you start to pencil it out, it becomes a little bit harder to imagine what this lifeline is. And if you're, you know, in the end, it comes back to... uh the you know we'll give you pennies but what you really want is to convert everybody to to be a premium subscriber and get access to all this uh above and beyond stuff and you know that means that the best this service i think could hope to be is to provide a little bit of incremental revenue to publishers from people who are less casual readers and maybe convert them into into um into subscribers later but i i just don't see this service being something that you know saves the business of you name it, you know, saves the Atlantic, saves Wired. Like now Wired just gets its money from Apple and everybody is happy. I don't think that is um, reasonable at all. Because then like it also opens up all these other problems of like, who does Apple let in? And then what does that mean? Right? Like what publishers get let into this? Like from what political leanings and what groups? And then it's like, well, it's like, it's just like, it just feels like this is, there's a lot of potential issues with something like this. And I'm not necessarily sure I can see a real huge upside to it for anyone, really. Yeah. It's a, uh, Apple News is a weird beast in general. <laughs> um, Apple thinks, I mean, this is Apple's RSS reader, right? Like Google killed Google reader. Apple wrote Apple News. Like Apple wants to to have this experience. They care about it. It's a weird app. I don't love it. I don't use it very much. Um, but people do use it. It doesn't make money for publishers, but people do use it. So, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I'm like, wouldn't it be nice 
if you could pay a monthly fee to unlock all the content inside Apple News and know that money was going back to the people who made that content and that money was substantial enough that it helped them keep their businesses afloat, absolutely all true. I have I, I have skepticism about many, if not most, of those points in that scenario, but wouldn't it be nice? Sure, it would be great. I feel like in the end... What's going to happen is what something speaking of Ben Thompson that Ben has been writing about for ages on Stratechery, which is you're going to get uh, publications where you are willing to spend money and you're going to get publications that drive uh, massive amounts of traffic for ads and uh, not a lot in between. And those publications that'll get you to spend money could be large publications like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. It could be niche publications like Stratechery, but uh and then uh, you know and then there's the buzzfeeds of the world but that may you know i that might be it like there may be a few what what happens to the new yorker is some people will pay for the new yorker and no and other people won't and hopefully they'll get enough people that they can stay in business but that's kind of you know can apple somehow make this work on the inside i appreciate that they're trying but yeah it's hard to really imagine how this is going to actually work i'm glad that's not my job yeah, no thanks. Today's show is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is a meal delivery service that includes everything you need to cook delicious gourmet meals that you can feel good about. Green Chef sends a wide variety of organic ingredients and imaginative new recipes every week. And they have meal plans that include different dietary requirements. They do meal plans for paleo, vegan, vegetarian diets, keto, gluten-free, omnivore, and carnivore too. Green Chef is the first USDA-certified organic meal delivery service. Every ingredient is thoughtfully sourced. Its journey is tracked from planting to plating, and their recipes include pre-made sauces, dressings, and spices, so you can get more flavor in less time. Jason, can you tell me like what makes cooking these types of meals easy with Green Chef? Yeah, it's... uh Well, so we got the vegetarian, which was interesting because I'm not a vegetarian, but they were very tasty. Um, they're easy to make. They don't take too long. You get relatively... You know, you're getting fresh ingredients in the box, and uh, making it yourself, but they also are trying to make it easy where like you'll get things in little packages so yep. that you don't have to take a big thing and then chop it up and process it a lot. They try to reduce some of the drudgery of some of the processing, um, but you're cooking it yourself and serving it in a relatively small amount of time, which is really nice. So having um, having something like Green Chef, you can plan your week. So we got this and we got, I think we got three because I think we got the two person thing. And you know, that's like three days of the week planned for us, which mm -hmm. was, uh, it was pretty great. Not having to do the meal planning is like the, my favorite part. Right. And they have a family plan with two dinners for a family of four. We ended up with a, the, the, the three for a family of two. And my daughter was on vacation with friends that week. So we, it was a weird thing where we were actually kind of extending the meals for two to serve, uh, two or three depending on my son's preference for the meals that we were making mm -hmm. but they were great i i would uh, make several of them again i've saved their menu cards because you can make them again yourself later um so it's it's not only a uh, food acquisition service for a couple of days a week um but also a menu acquisition service uh, recipe acquisition service for programming the other days of the week so yeah yeah it's a very convenient and fun uh and the the vegetarian and again i'm not predisposed to like vegetarian <laughs> stuff uh and it was all really good like really really good for 50 dollars off your first box of green chef go to greenchef.us slash 
upgrade. That's greenchef.us slash upgrade for $50 off your first box of Green Chef. Our thanks to Green Chef for their support of this show and Relay FM. There's that, uh, there's a top four member special, right? In the Relay FM members feed of the salad episode. Yes. That shows your uh, predisposition to vegetables. Yeah, it's not just me. I mean, Dan and uh, and Tiff and Marco are in there, and we. Uh, oh yeah, w- there was a lot of cheese and croutons picked in that <laughs> one. But, yeah. <laughs> the best salad of all time was created. Yes, yes, it's cheese croutons. Uh, what else is in there? Salad dressing. <laughs> like, are there vegetables in there? Maybe. So Jason, an apple pencil sitting in a tree. T a p p i n g. You've uh, professed your love for the apple pencil. Do I have to say hashtag blank was right? You, you just did it. So that's all I need. The mere oh. utterance of the phrase gives me power. That's, that's all it takes. <sighs> I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> so I was very excited uh, to see this headline over on Macworld in your more color um, column. The new Apple Pencil made me a believer. So I was very, very excited about this. But before we talk about what you love about the new Apple Pencil, can you give a refresher as to your previous usage of the Apple Pencil? Uh, It won't take long. (laughs) Uh, Basically, the Apple Pencil came out, and whenever there was something new with the Apple Pencil, I would try to find my Apple Pencil wherever I had left it last, and then realize it was dead and have to plug it in awkwardly to the bottom of my iPad and have it sort of stick out and charge. And then I would, you know, go do, 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 do. Oh yeah. I could write on this and it's searchable text or, Oh, I drew a stick figure. Yay. Here's a sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then There's I would be done and I would, tree. and I would put it away <laughs> and I would not use it again. Cause basically mm-hmm. most of the stories about, especially early on, which is when I spent the most time with it, right when the iPad Pro came out, the 12.9 came out the first time in 2015, I um, would try that stuff out so I could have the experience of it. But like, it was all kind of in the context of note-taking or drawing. And I am not a, I am not a pen and or pencil enthusiast, Mike, unlike some. I have never liked handwriting. My handwriting's always been terrible. Uh, The moment I could type, my papers and turn them in at school i did so Mm -hmm. Uh, the very moment that that was allowed i did so Um, and i kept asking until they said yes i just i've never i don't draw i my handwriting is bad my relationship with with styluses is has always been poor so i had very little enthusiasm beyond sort of like getting the experience of what the apple pencil can do and how it feels like to keep going um Besides which, yes, there's no attachment method and it rolled away (laughs) and uh, charging it was awkward. So like when I would think, oh, could I try the Apple Pencil here? I would be like, I don't know where it is and it's not charged and I'm just not going to bother. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my relationship with the Apple Pencil probably over the course of the three years of the original Apple Pencil almost uh, was, you know, did I hold it in my hand for as long as an hour in total over that time put together? Probably not. It was probably less than that. Yeah, like the Apple Pencil 2 has a bunch of nice features, right? The matte finish is nice to hold. The flat edge means it doesn't roll away so easy. There's no more cap, you know, and it has the little function thing that you can do. But the the single best thing about it, and I think the reason that it has made more people excited about it, is 
One, the fact that it's like it is the inductive charging, but the two points of that which make it interesting, which is one, it's always where it needs to be, and two, it always has power. Like that has so monumentally changed what this product, this accessory is. It's yep. made it like something completely brand new again. Yeah, it's it's um it's around, right? Even if it's not attached, it's around yep. because you you know, you don't just absentmindedly place it somewhere. I mean, you can, but like, I feel like because it's magnetically attached, you choose to take it off and you place it somewhere rather than it just kind of like, you know, you're using your iPad and it doesn't attach. So it's laying there and then it gets covered with something and it's gone. Like you choose to disengage it and place it somewhere. That makes a difference. It doesn't e- roll as easily off of tables and things, which is helpful. The charging is not awkward. So if you're thinking you're going to use it, you can attach it. I never... I never liked or really did use an iPad Pro w- with the pencil charging sticking out because I hated it. I hated how it looked. I hated how it felt. It felt like it was going to snap off. Like I just, I it made me quite nervous and mm-hmm. anxious, and I didn't like it. Whereas this one, if you're like, oh, I might use the pencil later, snap. You snap it on. It's charging. It's uh, it's with you. <laughs> And then when you take it off, you put it somewhere and think this is where the pencil's going. So it, it, it has made it, just that has made it more available, which I think makes a difference. I also, yes, it's uh, it's a little bit nicer to hold. The, the matte finish is nicer. It just feels nicer. So it's also more pleasant to use. So there are a lot of things they did in the hardware upgrade side of it that made it more likely that I would be able to give it a try again, rather than kind of leaving it where it was, uh, wherever that was. Cause I did, you know, most of the time I didn't even know where is that Apple pencil? Did it get, hmm. is it in the pencil with, in the little, uh, we have a little like bowl that has a bunch of pens and pencils in it. Yeah, I would cup. often go over there and find it in there. Yeah. In the pen cup, there'd be the Apple pencil would be in there. And I'm like, ah, oh, it is yeah. there. Great. Yeah. <laughs> So if you if you don't handwrite and you don't draw, what are you doing with it? So for me, uh, this all came about because I wanted to use, again, the Apple Pencil number two pencil uh, mm-hmm. for something to try it out. And in the intervening time since I really, since the first one came out, uh, Fairwrite Recording Studio, the, um, the iPad audio editing app, podcast editing app that I use, added a whole bunch of support for the pencil and a uh, new beta that is now released added support for the gestures on the, or, you know, the double tap on the pencil too. So I thought I would give it a try and I thought, let's edit. What, it, what would it be like? Cause I, I edit uh, in ferrite a lot, but I do it with my fingers. It's like, what if I brought the pencil in to the party? What would that be like? Um, so that's what made me try it is, is I, I, here's an app that is not a note taking app and it is not a drawing app. It is something that I do that could perhaps be improved by the Apple pencil. That is not one of these things that I don't, that I don't do that I don't like, and I don't do. And, um, and it's really great, like really great. Um, I have it set up so that the pencil, is I'm double tapping on the pencil to do play or pause, um, which is otherwise two finger tap on the screen I have set up, but that requires my hands to shift position and tap on the screen. And I can do an awful lot of editing with holding the iPad and writing on it with the pencil rather than um, getting my fingers down, which is actually great for selecting things uh, to delete. Especially I do a lot because of the way I edit a podcast. I'm doing a lot of deleting because I do 
strip silence, which pulls out all the si- areas of silence, but there are still little areas where there is a slight amount of sound, but nobody is talking. And I, I need to clean all of that up and delete it and then do some detailed edits when people are talking as well. I can do most of that with the pencil. And then my fingers, while I'm holding the iPad, are really doing nothing more than sort of scrolling left to right. Um, and I can go through and and I, I found it it's quite delightful, actually, to delete all the stuff I need to delete the regions, uh, triple tap on uh, on a track and then slide it to, to move everything that's forward of it. All of these are gestures that I had before, but I had to do it with my fingers. The pencil is more precise for the edits. Editing detail in, in uh, what people are saying was very hard with my fingers because the fingers aren't very precise and the pencil is much more precise. So not that I couldn't do it. It just took more steps and I would have to do some undos and I'd have to re, you know, move the edit around in order to get it exactly where I wanted. And with the pencil, it's a lot easier to get it right the first time. So in the end, um, not only was it successful and I edited a whole episode of The Incomparable using Ferrite and the Apple Pencil, I did that over Thanksgiving when I was traveling, but I have edited the last five episodes of The Incomparable on the Uh-oh. iPad. Oh, look at you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is when you know the experiment worked, when it became the choice you made, yeah. right? Yeah. That's yeah, really and, it's, cool. and it's it, and and I think it is a superior experience to using my fingers. Like I said, mostly because the fingers, you know, the finger gestures and stuff are they're great, they're very powerful. But you know, the precision of the pencil tip versus a you know meaty fingertip, it's just it's it's much more precise. Which means that now I'm editing some of the in. You know, the way I edit, you get a block of somebody talking and that's their kind of monologue. And it was always less likely that I was going to edit in those blocks, edit in between when people are talking and clean things up. But now I will see in the waveforms, I'll see somebody have a pause or an um, or they'll, or I'll hear them repeat or stutter. And with a pencil, I could be like, and just take it out and it's gone, which is more, I'm, so I'm actually a more active editor using the pencil than I was. So it was that moment where I was like, oh, I see what they're talking about. I see what Mike was talking about with the pencil and using it. So I don't, I don't use it to like navigate my iPad interface. I don't use it out of the app to scroll around and stuff okay. like that. Okay. I don't do that. But in this context, in this app, I found an app that I use that uses the pencil, um, and and it was kind of a revelation just to finally have an app that does something that I want to do because drawing and taking notes by hand are not things I want to do. Now, there was one interesting thing that you pointed out in your article, which is something that I would love to see Apple take a crack at, which is like some kind of handwriting recognition keyboard. Yeah, I, I got a bunch of emails from people who... Um, who said, oh, there's this app that you can write in, this note-taking app you can write in, and it turns your handwriting into text. And um, that's great, but I, I think in the Macworld article, I very specifically said, you know, I don't care about note-taking apps. I don't use them. What, I, what I'm surprised by is that Apple hasn't built a handwriting recognition keyboard. You know, to take the keyboard space. And there's a third party one that I tried. And um, that's one of the times I used the Apple Pencil, actually, <laughs> for 20 minutes. Uh, and it was really bad. Like, mm-hmm. I'm surprised there was not a first party uh, keyboard that basically, if you have an Apple Pencil in your hand and the keyboard slides up, let's say, you put your pencil down 
And instead of it being a keyboard, now you're just writing out words and it does handwriting recognition and it inserts those words in whatever app you're in as though you were typing. I feel like that would be uh, really good for some people who like to handwrite. And I'm surprised that Apple hasn't bothered, given that they've got the Newton technology and that, that they had a million years ago. That probably is out of date and they'd have to rebuild it. And that became ink in Mac OS, uh, which was there for way, way longer than you would expect. But like... I'm a little surprised that Apple doesn't think that handwriting might be a way to do text input on the iPad Pro for somebody who's using the pencil. And I wouldn't use it because I, again, I don't want to write things out by hand. Um, And I appreciate that there are apps that let you do that and it converts it. But I was thinking more broadly that wouldn't it be interesting if if they had something that either worked as a keyboard or that was even maybe more Newton-like where if you had a, I mean, really it would still be, kind of keyboard like you've got a blinking text insertion point and you write something on the screen in words that it would say oh you're writing words i'm going to put those words at the text insertion point like mm-hmm. that would be kind of cool and i'm uh, yeah i'm just they haven't done that and so that's that's kind of too bad given that they've got this text input device that has been used for you know thousands of years to do that now somebody who has used the apple pencil for a while um is a big fan i wanted to make some recommendations jason uh to the upgradians none of these are for you uh, because yeah i was gonna all... say are these note-taking and drawing apps <laughs> yes they most definitely are <laughs> because this look i primarily i use my apple pencil for navigating interface in lieu of using my fingers because yeah, it's, it's really more comfortable for me um but so like that's one use stuff like what Jason's doing is another use where there are a bunch of like professional applications that are integrating the Apple Pencil as a, as a secondary input method to allow for some cool stuff. But the Apple Pencil is primarily supposed to and designed to be used for note taking and creative work. So there's just a small list of applications that I wanted to read out and I'll put links to them in the show notes. So I use two different note-taking apps, Notability and GoodNotes. These are like your general handwriting apps. They have different like paper types that you can use. You can create your own paper types for some of them. And these are these are just really good apps. They have basic like shapes you can draw on highlighters and different types of pens and stuff like that. Um, they're, they're slightly different, and they both have slightly different feature sets. If you are super keen on taking notes by hand on your iPad Pro, get them both and try them both is my recommendation because most people I know that do this, they prefer one or the other. I prefer Notability, but I couldn't tell you why. I just do. Uh, And so that's just how that is. Um, Paper, which is owned by WeTransfer now, which was a surprise to me when looking this up today. Remember that? Paper by 53? Remember that app? Mm Mm-hmm. It's bought by WeTransfer. Uh, that is just a fun sketching app. It's It's got a nice little design. I've always enjoyed playing around with it. It has simple tools, but done in a really nice way. Um, it is a kind of low barrier to entry uh, kind of drawing app. Uh, Linear by the Icon Factory, similar in, in that way where it's like it's got a lot of basic features that you'd want, but they are getting really clever really fast with some of the stuff that they're doing, like automatic shape recognition now and stuff like that. I, I Linear is an app to watch, I think, because it started off as a very simple drawing app for the iPad Pro, but is getting more and more powerful all the time. So that's a fun one. Yep. Um, Procreate, I mean, I don't know how to use Procreate, but people like it. Like, But it's, you know, it is the artist's tool of choice for the iPad uh, for a lot of people. Like it's, 
it is the one, right? Procreate. It's very, very, very powerful until Photoshop comes along. It's like it seems to be the, the thing that illustrators and, and artists want to use. There is an app called Artset 4, which was recommended to me by uh, Tiffany Arment, who hosts Make Do on Relay FM, which is a creative podcast, along with many other great shows. And, you know, T- Tiff is a prolific podcaster, and that's one of the things that she does is a creativity podcast. But Artset is like... It feels like the most realistic for traditional tools like watercolor and and all that kind of stuff, right? So different painting styles and different drawing styles. It has tons and tons and tons and tons of options. So this is like a fun one to play around with where Procreate, I think, is one that people tend to use more to, to create something that they can use digitally. And then one of my very, very, very favorite apps is Pigment, which is a coloring book app, which I love Pigment. It's so much fun. It's really nice to use. Um, they since I maybe last spoke about them, they went to a subscription model, which I think is probably the best idea for them uh, from a business perspective. But now they have a bunch of like Disney content and stuff, so you can color in the Lion King if you want to. And they have they even have I think a specific Marvel version, which I've played with. So if you want to color in Spider Man, Jason, uh, oh boy, you can now if you want to. So they're really fun. There's just some recommendations to some apps that, that I've used a lot. Um, I'm always willing to hear about any others. So if anybody out there is using their Apple Pencil and other applications to great effect, uh, I would love to hear about it, um, especially especially if you're using it in an app that supports it in a non-traditional way. I would really like to know about that. You know, something like Ferrite, right, which is you wouldn't necessarily assume that it would support the Apple Pencil, but it does to great effect. Um, I would love to hear more about those. But Jason Snow, I'm so happy to hear that you love your Apple Pencil. I do. I do. The, the a combination, again, stuff that I could probably have done uh, you know, a couple of years ago, but I think the combination of the software support being there where it wasn't when I first tried this and the the new hardware, like the Apple Pencil, even, even I... <laughs> like appreciate the new hardware in the sense that I think it makes the, it makes it a tool that I might use. Right. Like, cause yeah. again, if it was just the old hardware, even if I realized how great this was, I would suddenly be in a position where I need to keep track of the, of the Apple pencil and make sure it's charged and all of these things. And those are barriers that would make me be like, ah, forget it. Right. And mm-hmm. the new pencil doesn't do that. Today's episode is brought to you in part by our friends at Pingdom. Pingdom are awesome because they help keep the sites that you love online. They monitor your site so you don't have to and give you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on at all times. Stuff breaks on the internet every single day. They detect around 13 million outages every month. That is more than 400,000 outages every day. It doesn't matter what size your website is, whether you're a startup, whether it's your personal blog, whether it's a Fortune 500 company. You want to have that website online and available. That's why it's there, right? You put it online so people could get to it, I would assume. So you want to make sure that they can. If there's any critical issues, you want to be alerted by them. And Pingdom have all of the tools to make that happen. They let you customize how you're alerted, depending on the severity of an outage, and also sending the right notifications to the people that can actually get the problem fixed. Pingdom will also track and analyze your website's load times so you can see what's affecting the user experience. I love that we, we use uh, Pingdom at Relay FM and we get a report every weekend about the speed of the website over the week. 
It's really great. You can just have that information right at your fingertips. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. They have a no-fuss approach to help you get started. All Pingdom need is the URL that you want to monitor, and they'll take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now to get yourself a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks again to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. It is time for hashtag Ask Upgrade, Jason Snow. Oh, Mike, I'm I'm warming up. I'm warming Uh-oh. up. This is very exciting laser news, laser related news. Okay, warming up the red and green uh, Christmas lasers oh. for the holiday special next week. They are, we are they are beautiful, mm-hmm. and they have um they have interesting defensive properties too. So if we're if we're ever invaded by I don't even know what would invade a podcast during a holiday special. Those green and red lasers will be ready to help protect us. Yeah, I think so. From whatever happens on uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Oh man, who are we going to call? So our first question comes from uh, Tom this week, and Tom says, "Setting aside pro apps on the iPad, why is there no weathering calculator app included with iOS <laughs> on the iPad? Seems like a simple thing. So whilst we, of course, do not know why, right? Like we don't know the answer to that. It is still a super strange oversight, but I think." It is a great advantage for third-party apps. Some of my favorites, like PCalc and Carrot Weather. Um, yeah. One of the reasons that I use PCalc and Carrot Weather on my iPhone over the built-in ones is because they're the ones I use on my iPad as well. Um, so, you know, for for the sake of applications that I enjoy, I hope the iPad never adds uh, a calculator or a weather app because I really love those applications. And uh, I'm sure that their businesses are helped by the fact that there are some iOS devices that don't include these applications. Undoubtedly. I do wonder, given what we have just seen in terms of those Marzipan apps coming to the iPad as well as the Mac this year, like Stocks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Stocks, Stocks, <laughs> uh, and Voice Recorder, uh, you know, that I wonder if part of this transition is going to include these same apps being on all devices. So I wonder if there will be a Marzipan calculator that will be on iPhone, iPad, and Mac. And you can count your marzipan with it. I wouldn't be able to use it personally because I'd be allergic to it. Oh, it gets and it gets your hands all sticky mm-hmm. if you try to use a marzipan calculator. I don't recommend it. Doesn't it seem though that like weather and calculator probably would have been better things to end up? I don't know. Who knows? I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I don't understand it unless there's something like super weird about like a patent somebody has for putting weather on a tablet or something like i don't understand why it's not there i i don't i don't get it i don't get it i think i think they just built those apps for the iphone and when the ipad came out they were like and 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 we've been stuck ever ever since just like with the others uh you know just just like with voice recorder and stocks right like why would stocks not be on the ipad it's like well they built it for the iphone and they just didn't bother and so maybe they'll bother uh and if that's then, then that would be a sad day for James Thompson and for the carrot people because they will uh, lose one of their advantages. But they've got others. It's fine. You know, you know that Apple's calculator is never going to have a full-featured racing game in it. It's definitely not going to have <laughs> a giant hidden 3D racing game with uh, and augmented reality features as well. So, yeah. In a similar vein, Frank asks, do you think that the Shortcuts app could make the move to the Mac via Marzipan? That's a lot of M's. When I read this question, 
at first, like my initial reaction was, no, of course not. But then I started thinking about it and I was like, well, I guess maybe, right? Like at first I was like, no, there's no way. They would just build it natively. But then I thought to myself, well, we don't even know if it's worth doing that in 2019, right? Like, Because we we have no idea what's going to happen over the next couple of years at WWDC. And it might be that it's not worth Apple building new Mac apps in the old way. So, well, yeah, maybe. So, Marzipan is, uh, I, I think, part of this conversation. Because, so question one is, do we think that Marzipan apps on the Mac are going to be controllable via Automator or AppleScript? And the answer is no. No, of course they aren't. Of course they aren't. Yeah, of course. All right. Not. Well, then, how do you how do you control them? And the answer is, well, shortcuts, which doesn't exist on the Mac. Okay, mm. Automator exists on the Mac, and shortcuts is, is uh, inspired by Automator. It, it is a very much a an iOS take on Automator. S- like shortcuts, Automator has a lot of actions that are literally just things that are commanding an, an app to do something. They're not, you know, they're not cross app things, right? They're just have mail do this have safari do this or i send you data and you send me back data so i'm actually kind of optimistic that what we're going to get ultimately is that um shortcuts will come to the mac and a lot of the stuff that's in automator a lot of those items will appear in shortcuts as as will new items that are using the new method that shortcuts controls on ios that will come with marzipan because I think you could actually mix, mix and match them fairly easily. There, you know, I don't want to say that it's easy and there wouldn't be an engineering challenge there. But given that the legacy Mac app stuff for Automator is all these individual like block items, you know, you should be able to have those blocks be available in shortcuts. And and uh, because what you're doing is you're passing data out and saying, "Hey, do this," and then then give me back something. And that's not any different from what shortcuts does so i think they could do it i also think at that point then shortcuts on the mac would have the possibility to do like run shell script and run apple script or something like that which would be fascinating too um so i think it's possible and i think it will probably happen eventually uh i wouldn't be surprised if it takes them years to get there adrian asks given the choice would you rather get a new iphone 10 so last year's iphone 10 or a new 10r I, w- I would rather have the 10 than the 10R. Okay. Why is that? Uh, I don't like the big phones. I think the 10R is beautiful and it's not uh, as big as I anticipated, but I prefer the size of the iPhone 10. That It's that simple. I mean, if you weigh in the money part of it, if the iPhone 10 was, you know, $999, like, it, like the iPhone 10s is, uh, maybe I would feel different about it. But... Um, at eight ninety nine, it would still be one hundred and fifty dollars more expensive, but it would be the size I wanted. Um, yeah, I would probably take the iPhone ten, even factoring in the price being more and the tech being a little bit older, just because of the size issue. But I would, it would be, it would be an interesting question. It is an interesting question. Thank you, Adrian. But I think I, in the end, I would probably just stick with the ten. I like my ten. I think the ten is great, and um. That would be it. Would be enough for me. I would go 10R. For of course you would. A lot of the inverse reasons to you, right? Like it's closer to the size that I want. Um, yeah, the yeah. screen no, is I, still I fantastic, it. and it's got all the new tech in it. 
So yeah, no, I get it, I get it, and and that's that's uh, unfortunately the iPhone 10 not available, so it's not a question. Oh yeah, yeah, of course it's not. And finally today for Ask Upgrade, David asks if Apple introduces a low end Apple TV. What are the chances of going game-focused, maybe with controllers, on the high-end model? They're already comparing the iPad to the Xbox One, and their chips are getting better and better. So whilst I was on my recent hiatus, uh, well, hiatus, my assignment, that's it. While I was on my recent assignment, Mm -hmm. um, John Voorhees stepped in for me on Remaster with Federico Vitici, and -hmm. they spoke about gaming on the iPad Pro and what that is like today. It's a very, uh, it's a, it's a very uh, interesting episode because there was a bunch of stuff that I learned which I didn't know about, which I think says a lot about Apple's current attitude to games. It's like, for example, there are there are heavy, there are like really restrictive limits on the sizes of apps and games. Like the maximum size you can download from the App Store is like four gigabytes, and then if you want any more. So you want to get more data, you want to get more files or more like graphics packs as some of these games do. You then need to download these as like free in-app purchases, which also have limits on them. So like if Apple wanted to make something that was truly like graphically impressive or have this stuff made for their system, all of that stuff needs to change because games are huge if they're supposed to look good, right? So like this is even more restrictive on tvOS as it stands currently right now. And this is before you even get into all the pricing and business issues and the perception shifts that would need to occur. Because I don't know why like a game on the App Store should be free, but you download it, but a game on the Switch online store can be $50. Like it, right. I don't know what it is that like has broken that in people's brains, but it has, and I can't ever imagine, well, I cannot imagine in the near to mid-future Apple producing a box that sells $40 software and nobody, and everybody's fine with that. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me, even if it was the same game. Because you see, I see it a lot, right? Like, one way or another, like a, an iOS game go to the Switch, or a Switch game or a console game to go to iOS, and the prices are completely different. Like, there are a bunch of iOS games popping up on the Switch now that have been ported over, and they tend to be more expensive, and everyone's fine with that. So, these are like two massive like things from technical perspectives, where it's just people that want to make really uh, deep and beautiful games struggle with the size constraints put on them, and there are already these business model issues, let alone the fact that, like, I mean, Apple don't even currently make a very good remote control for their TV box, let alone controllers. So, yeah, the there are different kinds of games. These are separate. Console games are popular with a subset of an audience that is, I, I would argue, actually, that Apple is the best at the most important segment of gaming, which is mobile gaming. Like people playing on their phones and their iPads and stuff. Yeah, there is no there is no mobile game platform better. I mean, I'm kind of excluding the Switch from this because it's different. That's different, but but it's it's yeah. I I do think it's different. I I'm not saying the Switch is not mobile gaming. The Switching is a yep. game console that is mobile. It is a different market with different pricing uh, rules, as you just pointed out. It is not your phone. It is not your tablet. It is a game, a dedicated game device. Um, also a dedicated game device controlled by Nintendo that is not going to allow lots of uh, 
you know, the the ad freemium kind of model, like Nintendo, not interested in that, right? So you're not going to, you, they're not going to let you do that. Whereas Apple's like, all right, we're going to do that, which is kind of weird, but that's just where Apple ended up because of the App Store. It's been very successful for them. But like, so, you know, the question was, what are the chances? I think the answer is there's no chance. I think the Apple TV at best is going to be viewed as a way for you to get games that are written for iPhones and iPads on your TV if you want to see them there. And that's fine. But, you know, Apple's focus, if it can have any focus on gaming at all, will be in mobile gaming, in iPhone primarily, and then other platforms secondarily. Uh, they're not going to build a console. They're not going to take on Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo. Not interested. They've never been interested in gaming. They're interested in gaming only in that it suits them when they show off their graphics power of their latest processors or, you know, when it's throwing off so much money that they have to sort of pay attention to it, but they kind of don't care. And I don't think that's going to change. I just don't think they've got it in them. So, all these dreams of the Apple TV being a could could Apple really invest in making the Apple TV a console like device? Yes, but they won't. And <laughs> even if they did, I don't think it would be much of a success because of all of the other challenges. It, like you know, Microsoft spent a enormous amount of money and lots and lots of time to establish Xbox as a player in the gaming platform wars, and Apple's never going to do that. So, you know, the Apple TV is an extension of the iPad and the iPhone, and it's really all about the iPhone, and it's it's the mobile gaming space. It's just a different kind of gaming. And if you're expecting Apple to be an Xbox, even though they talked about the graphics power of the Xbox and all that, like, again, using it to show off the power of their processors in their $1,000 iPad Pro is not the same. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send in a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade to do that. Thank you to everybody that has for today's episode. So after this break, we are going to go to the movies for Mike at the Movies and talk about Miracle on 34th Street. So this episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. They'll let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. With the ability to grab a unique domain name, take advantage of award-winning templates and more, they are the all-in-one platform that will let you put your next project online. With Squarespace, there is nothing to install or patch or upgrade. They cover all of that stuff for you, and they have all of the functionality that you're going to want. If you want to have a website that has a blog in it, you can do that. You can also have an online store on that website, or a portfolio, or a music player, or a map system, or anything. They they support tons of different uh, methods of writing. So like you write in Markdown in their blog platform. Like you just do it all natively in Squarespace. It's super, super awesome. And they have 24-7 award-winning customer support right there to back everything up for you. If you need any help, Squarespace is there to help you. Um, I've been a happy Squarespace user for many, 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 many years. They are the first place that I think of when I'm starting a project online because they make it so easy for me as somebody who doesn't know how to build a website. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can sign up for a trial today just by going to squarespace.com slash upgrade. And when you sign up, use the offer code upgrade because this will get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash upgrade and the code upgrade at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So Jason, we are here again, back at, at the theater. At the movies, yes. And we are going to be talking about A Miracle on 34th Street today. 
So you keep you keep wanting to put an article in front of it. It's not the miracle. I know. On 31st I can't Street. help it. It's not a miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. I can't help it because it's so it's hard to say otherwise. It's so miracle hard to say. on Thirty Fourth Street. We're gonna be taught. It's just it doesn't. I hate that. From nineteen forty-seven. Nineteen forty-seven. I hate it because I can't say it. It's so hard for me to say thirty-fourth, right? So I'm struggling so hard with that anyway, because I'm because everything just becomes F sounds otherwise. Yeah, thirty-fourth Street, right? And that's thirty-fourth, right? That's that's what my brain is telling me to say, and I'm already fighting against that. And then there's no article. It just I can't. Anyway, what did I know about this movie beforehand? Nothing really. I knew yep. that it was a classic, right? Like I, I knew it was a a classic. I thought it had that scene where in where like the guy runs down the street screaming at the end, but that's a different movie, that's, right? Yeah, that that's uh, uh, it's a wonderful life with it's Jimmy a wonderful Stewart. life. There you go. So that was what I thought. I was waiting for that to happen in this movie. Didn't happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, nope. did not I, happen. It's true. I initially bought the 1994 version by accident. Oh. Because that was what was recommended when I did the search on iTunes. It was the first result. So I bought that one uh, and only found out that there was a difference in version because somebody tweeted asking whether we were watching the 1994 or 1947. And I was like, well, this is news to me. So then I went and bought the 1947 version. And I watched it in black and white because that also was what the Apple TV gave me. Yes. But there is a colorized version too. There's a right? yeah. In the eighties, they colorized it. Don't watch the colorized version. Okay. I probably would have watched the colorized version oh. if I could have found that as an option. But uh, the the black and white worked perfectly fine for me. I was I was very I was very happy with it. it you know, like like all nicely produced. It was it was very good resolution, right? Like it looked really crisp, even though it's in black and white. You know, some has it been remastered at all? Do you know when it? Yeah, came yeah. I when I started watching this, it was a it was a, a standard def copy, and now it's uh, high def, and it looks a lot better. Yeah, it looked really good. I like the way it looked. Um, I need to just say that, like, I really struggled with this movie. Well, it's it's old, right? It's a very different kind of movie. I think so. Uh, the dialogue is really strange in places. Like the exposition is super weird at times. Um, just some of the like some of the conversations that they that the characters are having are just like so weird, like in, in just like a what is going on kind of way. As is some of the like super strange behavior by some of the people in this movie that I'll get to in a bit. But I will say the last third loved it hmm. when the court stuff started happening. Loved it, like I loved all that. One of the weird things about this movie is that it is a bunch of different movies in one. And when they yes. get to the court, I always have that moment where I say, oh, yeah, it's a totally different movie now. We're now yep. in the courtroom phase of this movie because there's the whole like uh, there's there's a there's a romantic comedy in here. Yep. There's this weird story about uh, like human resources at the department <laughs> store <laughs> that is going on. The uh, somehow mental institution. To mental institutions. I'm not really sure yep. how that lines up, but they can do it. Yeah, and then there's and then there's the courtroom stuff at the end. Yeah, I, I like it that, all, that but the courtroom stuff like, is amazing. It felt like a bunch of scenes, like it just felt like a bunch of vignettes in in places put together. This movie, um, so like you know, when you've been watching this movie your whole life, Jason, like has this been like a staple since childhood? Uh, no, this is my wife's favorite okay. Christmas movie, and I didn't see it before like ten years ago. 
Okay, okay. So I was wondering if that was a thing to it, but like, I just really struggled with it. Like, it was, you know, all of the things that usually bother me about movies, this had, like, all of them. Like, you know, my little things that bother me about, like, believability and just, like, general strangeness in movies. Like, this this movie is full of it, and it's probably because it was made in 1947, right? Like, that's probably yes. why. Um, is this movie funded by Macy's? Like... What is going on with Macy's in this movie? Uh, well, I mean, it's set it's set in Macy it's set in Macy's, right? Uh-huh. And the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and all of that. The focus on Macy's being this wonderful, wonderful, helpful to the world company is like super weird. Well, then again, Macy's also has the drunk Santa uh, for the the Thanksgiving Parade, so there's a little bit of uh, of that. And then there's Gimbal's, the department store, which is like the other department store across the street, which is kind of legendary. Um, uh, you know, the best part about this movie is that it came out in the summer. <laughs> no way. <laughs> it did. It did. Why? I guess they I just weren't focusing on it or whatever. Good but. question. Good question. And I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. That is wild. It came out on the 11th of June, 1947. <laughs> it did. It did but indeed. It came out in a bunch of other places around the world. Later that year, like Italy, Japan, Netherlands, Brazil, France, like all these countries got it in December, but in the US, it was released in June. Uh-huh. That's so strange. Why did they do that? I, I don't. You have a Christmas movie. <laughs> you released it. Also, I'll point out, uh, interesting, it won the Academy Award for uh, Best Writing, uh, Original Story for Best Screenplay. It was nominated for Best Picture, and uh, Edmund Gwen, who plays Chris Kringle, won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for this. So it was uh, it was not one of those movies that was not recognized at the time. It was it was, but yes, why was it released in June? Good question. No good answers. Chris Kringle, uh, Edmund Gwen, he's the best thing in this movie, in my opinion. Like every time he's in a scene, I enjoyed it. Like it was a lot of the ancillary stuff around it that was like super weird to me. Like. The whole start part is so it's so strange. Like, why is this child going to this man's house? Why does the man take the child to the zoo? Like, it's all like, like considering the pet. Like, he'd never met the mum. Like, it's so weird. And like, and I don't. I know I'm looking at this with 2019, 2018 eyes, right? So like, it makes it extra weird. But it's so weird. Like, I can't help but watch it and be like, Stranger Danger! Like, I, you know, it's it's very peculiar to me. Yeah, so one of the things that, if you think about it, is going on here, and I asked Lauren about this while we were watching it this weekend, is there's that scene where the um, where Maureen O'Hara as Doris Walker meets uh, John Payne as uh, Fred Gailey. Mr. Gailey yep. uh, for the first time. And he already has an extensive relationship with her daughter. The man who lives across the hall, they've hung out. He took her to the zoo and her mother (laughs) has never met him. It's just, and I think some of that is just the screenplay has just kind of, it's just alighting over the the idea because they they just need to get to where they're going. But as Lauren said, her mother, when she was like a little girl in New York City, would ride the subway places. 
like on her own hmm. as a, like a, a six-year-old girl. Yeah. So it was a different time. I know. But yes, I had the, I had those moments where you look at it now and you're like, what <laughs> is going on? At the same time, I do like the screwball aspect of the fact that the uh, the man across the hall and the daughter are are uh, they're buds. He's he's manipulated her like because that great scene is where where uh, she's like, oh. Our turkey's really big. You should have Mr. Gailey over for Thanksgiving dinner. And she's like, no, no, I couldn't. He says, well, you know, I, I guess I could be available, uh, you know, but it, it, not if it would be too much trouble. And she's no, no, I insist. And then the the daughter immediately says, did I do a good job, Mr. Gailey? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you wanted me to say? And it's like, well, oh, you've even, been revealed. He says to her, like, you know, I heard that uh, if you want to meet a mother, you've got to get to know the child or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. and, and it's like, okay, like, it, but it's, it's all just like, I'm watching, I'm like, what is going on here? Like, <laughs> what, super, what is it, is that's happening? a weird, that's definitely the romance part of the plot is a little bit weird. I'm, I'm much more, <laughs> in those scenes, I'm much more focused on a couple of things. I'm much more focused on Edmund Gwen, uh, who, uh, like I said, won the Oscar. I think he's great. I think he's like the definitive movie Santa Claus. Yep. He is, he's got his delightful, he's, he's English. He's got his delightful accent. He is Santa Claus. And and just like yes, of course I am. He's got. I'll tell you the, who the first president was, and I'll touch my nose, and I can do all the tests and all of that. I like that part of it, and I also am fascinated by the fact that Doris Walker, uh, her daughter, is precocious, but also has been taught to not believe in anything. Yep. That is not like hard evidence. Yeah. And it's not my favorite part of the movie that the the end result is. Oh, that was just my silly common sense. Believe whatever crazy stuff you like at the end, because I'm like, yeah. no, I don't actually agree with that. But I do enjoy all the um, the fact that she doesn't believe in Santa Claus, and she gets very confused when she pulls his beard, and he's he, you know, he's not a fraud, uh, Santa like all the other Santas who sit on thrones of lies. That's a reference to Elf. That you've you've seen Elf, right? Yes. Okay. We actually watched Elf this weekend. <sighs> That's also a great movie. Anyway, yeah. um yeah. So so that the the pursuing of Doris by by Mr. Gailey is not my favorite part of the movie. It's kind of weird, but I do like the daughter stuff and I I love uh I love Edmund Quinn. Uh, he's so great he's in that part. From the moment that he, the drunk Santa, guys got to keep warm somehow, the totally drunk Santa on the Macy's uh, yeah. parade float. And they're like, we got to get him out of here. But who are we going to get as Santa Claus? And guess what? You're going to get the real Santa Claus as Santa Claus. He's ready. He's going to step right in and he's going to fix your customer service issues at Macy's. Um, that That's that's another thing I love about this movie is that... Um, it makes the point that the the because because the Macy's people are like here's a list of stuff that we have too much of so if a kid doesn't know what they want for Christmas recommend one of these items and uh and Chris Kringle is like no that's terrible and he just immediately says oh you can go across the street to Gimbel's and get that or you can go down to this other obscure I'd stay on top of the toy market he says because of course he's Santa Claus and Macy's learns that good customer service is sometimes helping your customer find a product somewhere else and it's revolutionary and then their competition does it and they spread it to their other stores and i kind of like i like that part of it because i think that's a good bit of uh of real world uh recommendation right like the best thing to do is to help your customer even if you know rather than doing a hard sell yeah. and trying to sell them something they don't want oh, i agree it. like it's santa cool, teaches them an important lesson it is this this the weird obsession with macy's like it's like what is macy's relationship to this movie like it yeah. just seems so peculiar 
Yeah, well, I I don't think they they funded it or anything, but I do think they there was a you know because they let them shoot at the parade, yeah, and all of that. Like I think that was all part of it, and the idea that Macy's in New York at least is part of this holiday tradition. I think that was mm-hmm. part of it. Elf is set at Gimbel's, which no longer exists, um, but was prominently featured in Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, which is why Elf is set at Gimbel's, um, and that made them oh. that that let them set set it at a department store everybody knows without it being one that's actually in business so they oh were able my. to not endorse I'm just now like getting the parallels between those two movies right oh, like yeah. as you're mentioning them, like oh because he he's a real he's elf, an elf right? right but came from the north pole like which is the opposite right you know uh-huh. Yeah, okay. That's fun. That's a lot of fun. I, I, I obviously cuz you know, I haven't really I don't really know this movie enough yet even though I've just like I've seen it once, right? Like to start making those uh like I bet now if I watched Elf again, I would see it more, right? Than than it being the other sure. way. Sure. You absolutely. Um <laughs> It's so surprising that Santa does hit that guy on the head. Right? Kringle's just like he just clunks that guy i guess that's the lesson that violence never solves anything because that is the the fact that he whacks the guy i mean to be honest that guy is a fraud and a yeah, terrible yeah. human being gravel but, uh, but you should not you should not whack sawyer on the head with your your cane or umbrella or whatever don't don't do it like violence never solves anything and that becomes the wedge that allows mr sawyer to get him uh committed at one point for being a crazy person yeah it's like may not have been the the right option and it was just surprising to me that it didn't really take a lot like he kind of just got to a point was like i don't want to argue with you anymore so i'm gonna i'm gonna hit you on the noggin i'm gonna whack whack you on the head yeah yeah (laughs) santa no (laughs) please santa stop beating that man up don't don't. yeah that awful awful man and then it's just like there is all these funny little things like the judge, the honest judge. Like, okay. Why is he going to be so honest? So, so that, so the courtroom, right? So the courtroom is great. There's that scene that I really love that's in the, at the postal service where uh, yes. Jack Albertson is like, "Hey, I got an idea. We got this mail for but Santa. What if we took it to this. the courthouse?" I have yeah. a question about this. Why, <laughs> why does Doris mail the letter? She lives oh, across the hallway from. The lawyer, right? Like, it's uh, this is my like. I'm I'm sorry, I do this. Is that I can't help is that sometimes. is that the letter? Do they mail? I mean, it's just all yeah. the mail is going. No, to No, but Santa. like the first letter is written by uh by the kids, Susan. So they put it in the mail. You know, they put it in the mail. It's, they mail. That's it. a thing you do. You mail your letter to Santa. Isn't it fun? And then it goes to Santa yeah, Claus, Indiana. The kid's or... not there. Right, the kid's yeah. not there, and it's mailed like the address is the courthouse. Ah, right. Mm, interesting. Well, she's, it's all part of the plan. Sure, it's all sure. it's all part of Fred's. Ah, they were all in it. The I, whole time. I I have never even considered that. It's totally irrelevant. <laughs> the whole idea is just that they they get this idea. Also, that scene in the in the post office is fascinating because Jack Albertson is the guy who has the idea. He's really great. Uh, the other guy is Lou, and he is like the worst actor in the movie. Where he's like, <laughs> I just forget about it. He's super like stylized, very bad. But uh, Jack <laughs> Albertson's good, and he's like, Ah, we, we'll send them all down to the courthouse. I got a great idea. But the the court stuff itself. Okay, so the judge is great. He's hilarious. He's so funny. The district attorney is great. So the judge the judge is worried that if he rules against Santa. They're gonna they're gonna not vote for him. Yeah. He talks to my favorite character in the movie, other yes. than I guess Edmund Gwen, which is William Frawley, who was Fred Mertz in I Love Lucy. He is the political fixer. He's so good. 
He spends most of his time out in the court with his unlit cigar, <laughs> gesturing it at the judge. And at one point when they're like, your honor, you need to rule on whether he's Santa Claus or not. And, and, and uh, Fred Mertz, sorry, William Frawley is like pointing at the chambers, like, get out of here, get out of here. You got to get out of here. We got to talk about this. And it's like, you're going to make a career ending move if you tell people that, because it's going to be in the papers that you're the judge who said Santa Claus wasn't real and you're going to make everybody sad. And I love the the story that he tells. It's like, then the kids won't want their toys anymore, which is going to upset the department stores. You upset the department stores, you're going to upset the toy makers. The toy makers got the unions. You want those unions to come down? And you're yeah. just like, Whoa, Oh no, the whole world will be destroyed if you say that this this thing is not true he envisions also because there are lots of wacky newspaper spinning newspaper things here Mm -hmm. um my favorite of which well okay my favorite of which is the headline that's all the k's that is just ridiculous chris kringle crazy court case coming calamity cry kitties but the the but the second best one is the judge imagines what the story will be if he rules against Santa Claus. Uh-huh. And if you pause it and read that story, it's like horrible judge made all children around the world sad today by deciding that Santa doesn't exist. Who this judge is terrible and like it's this amazing yeah. story that is written about him. So he's like, okay, I can't I can't do this. So it's like everybody's playing along. The district attorney doesn't want to be particularly brutal with this because he doesn't want to be mean to the nice old man. Nice crazy old man yeah i like that part because that 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 mr mara yeah so easy for them to just paint him as the bad guy because he's playing the bad guy in the room but then they have that moment at home right where he's like i don't i don't want to do this yeah and but the ki- what and the, choice do I have now? I should have I should have married a plumber. And he's like, well, if, depending on how this goes, <laughs> you might you maybe might you <laughs> maybe you might have. Uh, and the kids don't want to talk to him because they're like, you're yep. prosecuting Santa. And so when he gets up there, he's like, are you Santa? And he says, yes, I am. He's like, the you know we have no further questions. The 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 state rests. Like he yep. doesn't want to push it. He's like, this should be enough. He thinks he's Santa. I'm not going to be mean to this guy. I'm leaving it on and the And of judge, course, that just right? opens the door for the shenanigans that Mr. Gailey does, and for that that the judge has to deal yeah, with. I have a question for you, Jason. Yeah, can you subpoena a child? Well, the. Yes, I think you can. I think you can. I think it is funny that the district attorney is not aware and has not been made aware by his wife, who is holding the subpoena, that his son has been subpoenaed to appear (laughs) in his own in his own case. Up at breakfast, maybe. But it does lead to a wonderful double take where he's like, "What?" and she's like, "I got the subpoena right here." And then, and then Mr. Gailey like lifts up Tommy Mara the junior and puts him in the little chair to and and says you know do you believe in santa claus does your dad believe in santa claus it's like oh yes don't you daddy and he's like uh yeah okay <laughs> and, and so like all the adults are all trying to keep the the uh myth of santa claus alive nobody wants to say that santa claus doesn't exist which does ultimately lead to the uh state of new york and the federal government endorsing this man as the real santa claus which is just wonderful the way and that absurd. unfolds is is genuinely very clever like I really oh, with, enjoyed with the, the mail. reveal, like of the three pieces of mail, and it's like, oh, that's yeah. not nearly enough. It's like, it's like I bring it in, boys. <laughs> I like how they um, and this is some theatrics that's great. They they could just put the mail bags on the judge's desk because the judge is like, put them right here on my desk. Um, but they don't. They empty the individual letters mm-hmm. out of the bags all over his desk, so he's completely covered in when mail. When I saw that, I felt bad mm-hmm. for the prop department. Yeah, but I, I, I like I when it's I see great. it, I imagine that there's a conversation that happens out in the hallway where Mr. Gailey says, "Okay, now here's what you're gonna do. Yeah, when the judge says to bring him in, you don't just put the bags up there. 
empty the bags all over the judge because that's what we want is just a, a flood of mail. And they're like, all right, whatever you want, whatever you say, Mr. Gailey. It's like, good, good boys, good. And then he goes back inside and then he's like, oh, bring them in, boys. And they cover the, the judge with mail. And what I also is- love is that the judge it's just rules so, so smartly, right? It's like, well... The U.S. government says that this guy sent yeah. a so must be. <laughs> Cut to William Frawley in the audience who goes, who gives that nod. Like, ah, yeah, you, 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 you you yeah, yeah. Now you're getting elected for sure, buddy. <laughs> the DA, he's a Republican. <laughs> oh, that that is maybe my favorite line in the movie is the only per, the only people who are going to vote for you in the next election are you and the DA out there. And he goes, mm, the district attorney's a Republican. <laughs> It's like so sad. The judge is like, I nobody will vote for me. There's a I couple of like ruined. really strange jokes in this movie that like I figure were really funny at the time, but you have to know what what it is. And they're like, there's one where it's like, there's some guy in New York, and they think he's a Russian prince, but he owns a restaurant. I don't remember his name. It's like that's obviously a oh, yeah. a joke at someone, but I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a real. There was a real yeah. guy who thought that, and that's. It's, but yeah, obviously, that's going to be a pop culture reference mm-hmm. that that comes out. No, I I think the idea, uh, maybe the most delightful thing in here is that this is a movie that knows that people view New Yorkers as cynical people. So like Doris is like, don't believe in Santa Claus. Don't yeah. teach. Don't yeah. even tell my kid that Santa Claus is real when that she's a kid. We're just going to tell her that it's made up. There's the the William Frawley and the judge who are like, it's all political shenanigans that are happening. Mm-hmm. That that you know the 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 saying that Santa is real is all just part of their plot to get him reelected as the judge. Um, it, so the, it lays all that in there, and then yet what comes out of it is that uh, he is declared Santa Claus, which he is it also has that great ending where they the susan is sad because she hasn't gotten her uh her dream house that she wants for her and her mom mm-hmm. uh, to, for them to move out into the suburbs and into a dream house and it ends with um on their way back from the old folks home chris kringle tells them which way to go to get from you know long island back into the city which happens to take them right past the house that's for sale and susan's very excited and they run in it's exactly how she imagined and she's like i'm gonna go see if there's a swing there is there is a swing all that and that's all like oh chris kringle set this whole thing up but then his his cane is in the quarter and there's that moment of like the very last thing in the movie is like he's not really santa or is he i really like the the line i really like the line where like you know he's like uh gailey's talking about like oh what a, like a i must be a really great lawyer like this wonderful thing that i did like and that that then like it moves on a little bit and then he's like maybe it wasn't so wonderful after all <laughs> right like yeah i didn't convince everyone that some old dude was santa he is santa it's, it's yeah. very good yeah yep yep it's a good and that's the last line of the movie it's pretty great yeah, it's it's and again at that point their relationship moves very quickly too. Where the romantic comedy plot, where they're like they're just colleagues, and then before you know it, they're like have been together for a long time. It's mm-hmm. like how is that possible? The time doesn't. It's like uh, just go with it, right? It doesn't make yeah. sense. You t- just go back to the courtroom. We'll just spend more time in the courtroom. Yes, yeah, so so, it is. It is weird and absurd, and yeah. and I love it. It's great. The last half an hour, I genuinely loved it. Like I I loved it. It was brilliant there was like a line i wish i remember what line it was but there was just like oh it was it was just this one line where gailey says i intend to prove mr kringle is santa claus and i'm like i am in now like movie <laughs> you have gotten me like i am i'm all about this but like the yeah, first I, part i wonder is, if there's they... too much weird stuff and the little vignettes what it feels like it, it it felt a little disjointed to me up until that point 
I wonder if this movie would have, uh, I mean, it, it's a classic, so it doesn't matter, but maybe the title should have been The Case Against Santa Claus or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to highlight the the well, fact that it ends up in, in a courtroom. Is, I, I loved A Few Good Men. Right? Like, I love that movie. Really, all I want is courtroom drama. <laughs> it's basically the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I would say, like, basically, I was I was worried that I was going to come to this episode and be like, I hated this movie. Bah humbug. Yeah, but that last that those last thirty minutes, it's man, be a scrooge, that was just be a good stuff. That was I, I would say revi- some some holiday in the future, revisit it, and you may find you 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 may find yourself appreciating the early stuff more. I expect I will. I have appreciated it more as I've gone along because I get to again. I kind of put aside some of the weirder details, and I end up kind of being delighted by Edmund Gwent's performance mm-hmm. and. Uh, and Mr. Gailey manipulating the little kid, played by future movie star Natalie Wood, to be uh, to like get him to Thanksgiving dinner and uh, some of the weird stuff at, at Macy's and how they, you know, again echoes of Elf, right? Which is mm-hmm. no, this is how we do it at Macy's, and and uh, Santa being like, I'm not doing it that way, which is very much the same thing that we see in Elf. There's a mailroom scene in Elf too that always I yep. always think is a reference to the post office scene in Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, I I expect that upon further what like rewatches of this movie, I would I would come to it differently. Like it was too weird to me. I'm <laughs> like I didn't understand what was going on, and it was all very strange. Uh, but now I know kind of the whole arc of the movie. I think I would find it less weird, right? Like if I watched those same parts again. Um, but like the initial shock of like. Why is this child hanging out at this dude's house? It's like it was very, it was very perplexing to me. It is very, very strange. Also, a uh, a bearded man is the hero. So there you go. What more could you want? It turns out that if you uh, leave your whiskers in the cold, they'll grow more. Turn, they, I, I didn't know that. Helps them grow. That's them that's grow. what Santa says. Helps so uh, I gotta believe. Oh, there's that's actually a moment that I really like where you're trying to break the uh, break the uh, the illusion and it fails where. The, where he says, "Oh well, at the old folks' home, we're going to do a thing on on Christmas Day. You could come, you could come over and see us for that." Which they do. It's like, great, we'll do that. And Doris says, "Well, you could, you know, tonight we're having dinner Christmas Eve. We're having dinner at our house. You could come over for that." And he says, mm, "I'm I'm afraid I'm busy." And she's like, "Oh right, because you're Santa Claus. You're busy on Christmas Eve, right?" And it's that moment where everybody's like, "Right." Right. Don't invite Santa over on Christmas Eve if he's the real Santa. It's I feel I was done talking about this, but I have more I want to ask you now. Okay. So here's, right. the, here's the thing. What is Santa doing? Why is he doing all of this? Why is he working at Macy's? Like, what's happened to Santa? Uh, well, I... So that's the great mystery of it is, is he Santa? And if he is, why is he doing this? And I would say um, it may be that he's magical, just could be, and that this is a place where he has chosen to spend some of his... Uh, in order to solve people's problems and spread right. holiday cheer in New York City this year, this is what he's done. He's solving the problem of the drunken Santa at the Macy's parade. And then from there, that leads him into this whole other succession of things. Or, you know, or maybe Santa is a real person who lives in at an old folks home and that just happens to be where he lives. But then he does his magical thing. Who knows? Like, that's the great mystery of it is if he is Santa, what does that mean? And there's no answer for that. Like, because maybe, maybe this is just what Santa does. Like, he goes around the world when it's not Christmas and just, like, helps people out. Right? Maybe like, so. You know, that's that's his other job. Because, like, what else is he doing? He's, you know, we, we know from other movies, the, the elves are making the toys. Santa just does the delivery, you know? 
but he only needs yep. to do that one night a year, so he's got he's got other stuff to do in other times, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's magic. He's magic. If you'd like to find our show notes for this week, relay.fm slash upgrade slash 224. Uh, again, hashtag SnellTalk and hashtag AskUpgrade for your questions, but not for the next couple of weeks because we have two very special episodes um, to round out 2018. So we have our holiday spectacular next week and then the mm-hmm. upgradies the week after. So Ooh. this will be the last time we remind you to vote in the upgradies um, and the vote will close on the 24th uh, of December. So you have a week left. So this is your, your last warning uh, for, for the upgradies. Um, please, please, please enjoy the holiday special. Uh, we're really happy with it. I think that you're going to have a great time uh, listening to that. It's a, a fun trip, uh, I think, that we all take together and you'll be able to enjoy. And then we'll be back now on New Year's Eve for quite the spectacular, uh, which is the fifth annual Upgradies. Mm. My excitement level, Jason Snell, very high. Yeah, I can tell. You, it's Very hard to, for you to even, high. even contain it. Very high. I've already started making my picks. You know, my own yeah, nominations. Yeah, that's on my list for this week. As I gotta, yeah. I gotta do my own uh, choices for the it upgrades. Takes, takes time it's to get time. it all in set. It so. does. Gotta do some work. But there are many categories that need your input. So if you were, uh, you know, so you don't want to be that person who's listening to the upgradees, and you're like, no, that my favorite podcast didn't win. You know, play your part. Vote. There's a there's. Link in the show notes. You can answer all the categories. You don't. You can answer some of the categories. It's totally up to you. You can find us both online. Jason is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. You can go to sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com for more of Jason's work. And we both host many shows here at Relay FM. Go to relay.fm slash shows and I'm sure you'll be able to pick out something new. Especially with the holidays coming up. You've got some travel going on. Pick up a new Relay FM show to listen to. You might find something... Something new for yourself while you're making all of your holiday trips uh, over the next few weeks. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody.